Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Uh, Turn with me to the book of John. We're going to start in chapter 19, towards the end of chapter 19. And if um, if you're familiar here, then this is John, and he is... uh, He's recording the, um, the situation just following Jesus' death. So once a criminal was crucified on the cross, they would wait until he was for sure dead. And then if anybody claimed him, uh, then they would, uh, they would get to take the body. And if nobody claimed him, then they would dis- dispose of them. The Roman government would. But at this point, two men come. And so... Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 38 of chapter 19, the Gospel of John. It says this, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Let's stop right there for a second. Now, how many of you guys know that it's a shame to go down in eternal history as the one who only came to Jesus by night? I don't want to be that guy. And my prayer is that Christians come out of the darkness, okay? I think sometimes we, we keep our walk with the Lord secretive on purpose, and sometimes it's because we're embarrassed, and sometimes it's because we just don't want to be held accountable for it. You know who you are. We should probably just stop and do an altar call right here. But, but both, isn't this interesting, both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the two who come to claim the body The ones who brought all of these spices and herbs and aloes were the ones who only met with Jesus in secret, who only followed him secretly. And and my fear for them is that, you know, they're trying to compensate in death for what they missed in life. And I, uh, you know, it's it's like it's almost like a like, hey, a little too late here, guys. You know what I'm saying? And my concern for the church today is that, um, and this doesn't even have anything to do with my message, really, but, you know, it's too good to, to pass up. It's just right here. Both these guys are like, hmm, I guess we should probably do something, and you've got a lot of money, right? And so do you. Okay, let's, let's go bring way more than enough now that he's dead. I think sometimes the Lord presents us with opportunities, and we wait until that opportunity passes, and then we talk about what we could do for it. And uh, I believe that the Lord's calling us as a church um, to the forefront to stand with our tippy toes over the edge and wait for him to say jump. And when he says it, to not sit around and talk about it, to not wait until it's too late, but instead just to surrender and to jump. Amen? I think it's so important. So they bring... 100 pounds, which are 100 Roman pounds. A Roman pound was about 12 ounces. So this is about 75 pounds as we would understand pounds to be. And uh, they take and they, they wrap the body of Jesus in linen uh, cloth, like strips of ripped linen cloth. And uh, very much like a mummy. 
And, uh, and what they would do as part of the, the burial process is they would put these ointments and spices, they would wrap them into uh, the, the, the linen, the fabric. And with every layer that they'd go around, they'd put more, um, they'd pack more myrrh and aloe and things like that in. But there's something interesting going on here. This amount, 75 pounds, this uh, Jewish historians say would have been enough for 200 men. And they brought it for Jesus. So some people say, well, that's just clear then that the Bible is just factually, historically wrong. But in fact, as is seen in the Great Pyramids and other great burials, uh, burial grounds that have made it through history, uh, what we find is that as an act of honor, when someone of great significance and importance would die, more preservation and more value and more time would go into their burial process. And so whether it was bringing things just to um, or ornament the, the grave that he was in, that's what these guys were doing with all of this stuff that they were bringing, is they were trying to honor Jesus as an act of uh, recognition of who he was. And so they bring way more than enough to preserve him. But I want to talk about this, uh, th these preservatives for a minute. Because there is a real weight to sin. There is a spiritual weight to our sin. And any of you who have walked in, in, in sinful lifestyles for any length of time, you know that along with that spiritual weight of just like, oh, this isn't good, there's also a physical weight. And that, that physical thing that comes on us is death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin are death, okay? And, and, and it says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And not not uh, as a means of how many times you've sinned or not sinned, but just by right of being born into the human race, okay? That's some bad news for you here this morning, all right? Is that we have all sinned because our DNA is broken, okay? Not because you did something wrong in the womb, but because as a means of just being, a, just being a, a person, a body, a living soul, we're broken. We're born into sin. And so coming out, that sin, the wages of that sin are death. And so when we accept Jesus and when we give our hearts to the Lord and our lives to the Lord, he brings life. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but he brings life. But the problem is, is that anywhere in our life where we continue to choose sin, we're also continuing to choose death because the wages of sin are death. And that doesn't change. That doesn't go away. And so while there's a spiritual weight of sin, there's a physical weight of death, a physical weight. If we're really honest with ourselves, guys, um, well, we don't even have to be. I mean, statistics prove that, um, that lifestyle choices, sinful lifestyle choices, things that maybe the world high fives and maybe, you know, culture and society has stamped their approval on. And so we've chosen to accept those things as norms for ourselves, patterns for ourselves, lifestyles for ourselves. But even statistics like scientific secular statistics reveal, they sort of betray the side effect of brokenness and sin. Things like depression, things like fear, anger, anxiety, disease, infirmity, affliction. 
There, there are so many ways that death manifests itself in us when we choose sin. Now, Jesus chose sin. He chose to take on the sin of the world because it was the Father's heart for him to do so. And he chose to surrender himself over to take on our sin to the cross. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 24 or something says, uh, says, he bore our sin. He bore our sin. That word bore signifies that there is a weight involved. There is a burden. There is a load that had to be taken. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What does that mean? It means that dying to sin means dying to death. We don't experience death anymore. We're not choosing sin, so we're not choosing death. But where we pick and choose and pull back for ourselves, those things, those sins, those, those areas, those pet little things that we like to, you know, keep hidden away or whatever it is, those things, we're also choosing death. And death comes in the manifestation of all of these different things in our lives. I'll say this, most of the weight of death, like it was back in 2,000 years ago as they were preparing, most of the weight of death comes from pretending that you're not. In fact, that's what all these aloe and myrrh and spices, that's what it was. It was like we're, we're trying to fool people into believing that, that someone is not rotting away underneath all these bandages. We're trying to mask the stench of death. That's why flowers were always brought to graves. Not so you'd have an allergy attack at the graveside <laughs> service. We've done a lot of graveside services. <laughs> it's almost like we're going to have to go silk pretty soon. You know, people's allergies are just acting up. It gets weird. But um, I just, uh, I was impressed by this idea that, you know, as I'm watching in my mind, I'm watching these linen sheets cut into strips. They're not necessarily heavy, but when you start to add pound after pound after pound of ointments and spices to preserve, it's all with the purpose, it's all with the purpose of trying to fool the world and ourselves that we're not dying inside. Because we do the same thing. We wrap ourselves in thing after thing that looks like life that smells a little bit better than the alternative. We try to put, set things up in our rooms, in our houses, in our homes, on our mantles, on our coffee tables. We try to hang things from our rearview mirrors and slap stickers on our car that, that, are, that are all uh, intended to mask the stench of something dying. And really, no matter... The sad truth of it is, is that no matter how many Yankee candles or prayer candles we light or how many Glade plug-ins we plug in, at the end of the day, it comes down to death. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to keep up with that, by the way. In fact, you would have had to keep redressing because the ointment dries up, the aloe dissolves, the spices uh, dry up and lose their spiciness. And, and after a while, if you want to keep something from really 
taking on all of the characteristics of death. You've got to keep readdressing it. And saints, I, I see a church today in America that is weary, tired from faking it, tired from playing life when really we're choosing death. But if you, uh, if you recognize something about Jesus, and we'll, we'll jump down, we'll keep reading, because I love this part. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Man, I think I, I, think I missed this year's Easter message. I think I, maybe I was supposed to preach on Mary Magdalene coming early. Maybe that's next year, yeah. Easter will come around about this time next year. For those of you that just will come back next Easter, I'm giving you a heads up of what to expect. It's going to be a good one. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for leaving your seat for somebody else. We just, we're really grateful for that. That's selflessness. Um, in, in truth, I, I love the, the sight of this woman because it was somebody who had been pulled herself out of a grave of choosing sin and accepting death as the side effect. Somebody who, who demons had been cast out of her and, and she had been given this um, face-to-face experience with freedom and life and breath. And she came out of it. And she just fell in love with this truth and this life that she had been given. So much so that her interest in being near Jesus wasn't about what he was going to say or what he was going to do next. Even if he just laid there on the other side of a rock, she would have felt better near him. I love it. I love it. But that's for next year. Okay. So she ran and came to Simon Peter in verse 2 and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. I love these, <laughs> I love these verses because it's just the disciples, even after Jesus is gone, okay, the disciples are like, I can do it better than you. The disciples are like, I'm going to get there first. No, I'm going to get there first. And they're like pushing each other. They're like tripping each other. Peter gets up to run and his shoelaces are tied together. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about, um, <laughs> I just got to say, because it it's so doggone funny. Um, so we went out, I don't know if y'all know or not, but we did a, a sweetbread blitz over this last week. And we just, um, we airdropped out of planes. <laughs> no, but we should have, honestly. That's the only way it could have gone any faster is if we crop dusted sweetbread over Swansea. <laughs> Next year, next year, we're going to do it. And uh, we're going we're gonna to crop dust the seeds to the sweetbread trees. And so we go out on the first round, right? So um, Pastor Will went with Pastor Dan and Stephanie Bourget, and they go out on a, on, a, on a group. We're off Gardner's Neck Road, and I go out with Chuck Gallagher and Matt Seneca, and we, we go out and we just like, you know, it's kind of like a test drive. Like we're going out, how's this going to go? How long is it going to take to actually go up and down everybody's driveway and, you know, run from everybody's dog and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and duck from everybody shooting bullets in the grove and that sort of thing. 
And so, anyway, it's all good. And so, uh, and so we, uh, so we come back and see, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, we're just kind of like watching, you know, all right, what's this, this how's this going? What's this work? So we, we can set up, you know, other teams to go and see how it's going to work out. And we pull into the parking lot and I see Pastor Will take off like his pants were on fire <laughs> across the parking lot. I'm seeing this guy. Now, I've never seen Will run before. <laughs> and I've never seen you run. And, and I see him running, and I mean, like, re, like full, like, sprint running. And I'm like, something's wrong. What's going on? And then I see right behind him, Pastor Dan Bourget is running, you know, and the deep V is, like, coming off his shoulders. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I've never seen pants that tight twist, stretch that much. You know what I'm saying? And I'm almost, like, embarrassed about, like, you know, is anybody watching this? Because this is almost indecent between Will and Daniel running. Something's going on. And I'm just getting out of my car. You know, I'm with a, a nearly retired police officer who just had surgery last year. And Matt Seneca's, like, a deep thinker. And I'm, like, taking it all in. We're, like, deep in thought and prayer and intercession for Swansea. You know what I'm saying? We're, like, praying in tongues and just, like, it's stuff's happening. And we and I'm saying, we should probably see what's going on inside. Maybe there's an emergency. And as I get out, then I see Stephanie bringing up the tail. She's got 20 boxes of leftover sweetbread and bags over her shoulder, and she's kind of dragging it across the parking lot trying to kick a box. I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. This was about who got back first. And the disciple who loved Jesus more got there first. I see, what the, I see what happened. So there's a little bit of healthy competition here, like there was with the disciples. And even back then, 2,000 years ago, after Jesus died, these guys are taking off, running to see who could get there first to a grave that Jesus had apparently been body snatched out of. And they get there. That's what they're thinking. So they're running together, and the other disciple runs faster than Peter. Okay. And stooping, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings. By the way, the disciple that loved Jesus was John. He's talking about himself in third person. Shameless. <clears throat> I love John. He's my favorite. And so Simon Peter also came in following him, and he entered the tomb. John doesn't go in. I don't think he could bring himself to do it. You know why? Because he did love Jesus that much. Peter was bold and brazen and brash and He'd be like, I'll go in that tomb. I'm going to look for clues. I'm going to dust for fingerprints in here. We're going to find out who took this guy. And John's like, <laughs> is it not bad enough that they had to crucify him and now they steal him too? Peter goes in. He enters the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And verse 7 says, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen, wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. You know what's crazy about pound after pound after pound of ointment and aloe and myrrh? Strip after strip after strip of wrapping ourselves in everything that it takes to fool the world into thinking that we're not dead. When we experience resurrection life, we leave it all behind. We leave it all behind. Jesus didn't bring one piece of that grave out with him. It was all there. 
He left it all there. Some of y'all are asking, hmm, so what was he wearing then? Well, it was dark out. I like to think he was in those robes of white. He was glorified. But he comes out dressed civilian clothes, okay? He's dressed. First, actually, Mary runs into him. She thinks he's the gardener, you know? Dude's wearing, like, overalls and a, you know, straw hat or something. Piece of hay in his mouth. I don't know. Pushing a lawnmower or something. I don't know. But, but she thinks he's a gardener. And then the people on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him. I think he was wearing, like, the glasses with the big nose and the mustache. And, uh, and, you know, they're, they're walking on this road. So a couple of times people are seeing him. They're not recognizing him. That glory is still disguised as it is on us sometimes. When we're dressed in heaven's glory, you know, we're not always coming out looking like a disco ball, which, by the way, those words almost made it into that song. But we settled for the hoo instead. <laughs> Shining in the mall. <laughs> Like a disco ball. <laughs> we'll do that on the uncut version. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, deep tracks. But uh, no, he comes out dressed in glory, disguised as a civilian, but he leaves his grave clothes behind. You know what? Something that's bothered me, and we've, we've done this church thing now for 11 years, two weeks ago or something, a few weeks, a month ago, it was 11 years. And uh, one thing that's bothered me is how hard we've made Christianity, how difficult we've made it. When Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, he says, he says, you make it too hard. You make it too hard for people to, to, to find the truth here. And when you do make a convert, you make them twice the son of hell you are. That's what Jesus says. I think that same Pharisaical thing is very alive and very real and very religious in our churches today. We've made Christianity this heavy, burdensome thing. Now, we don't start it off like that because otherwise we'd never get anybody, you know. But it's the bait and switch. You know what I'm saying? We like tell everybody it's all cupcakes and pizza parties and, you know, Chick-fil-A all day. You know what I'm saying? But Sunday. We tell <laughs> Chick-fil-A, bro. That's what we fool everybody into believing. And then once they sign on and we've got their email address and we can harass the living daylights out of them, then it's all about what you can do. And you got to be here. We, now it's how, how much work can you put in? How many hours can you serve? Now, now it's all about what can we get from you? Are, have you been tithing? Are you wearing the right thing? <laughs> Are you eating the right thing? No, <laughs> I'm not. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> We've made it hard. But here's the truth. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take me upon you and I will give you rest. That comes before and underlies all of the work that we do for the kingdom. It's all built on a foundation of rest. 
of coming into a throne room where striving has to cease. It's another great song. Mm. Christianity isn't hard, saints. It just doesn't fit very well over grave clothes. It wasn't designed. It wasn't custom fit. It wasn't tailored to be pulled on over gooey bandages that still smell like death. If you have been trying to walk as a believer and you wonder why you're getting chafed, it's because your grave clothes came out with you. It's time to leave all that stuff behind. Some of us, you know, we're trying to put on those robes of white, the robes of righteousness. We're trying to walk in glory, but we're looking like Chris Farley in David Spade's jacket. Fat guy in a little coat. I was, I don't think of myself as a huge guy. Pretty big, but not huge. You know what I'm saying? I'm in H&M yesterday in the, in the uh, Dartmouth Mall. And, uh, and, you know, I think because they go by like those Euro sizes. And apparently we need to pray for Europe because everyone's anorexic. <laughs> but I'm putting on like sizes that should fit me. You know what I'm saying? Or at least used to. I don't know. And I'm like, fat guy in a little coat. That's what it feels like when you're in there. You know what I'm saying? That place needs to get saved. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's how it works when we try to reconcile this newfound faith, when we try to put on our glory shirt over our grave shroud. You know what I'm saying? We've got to get to a place where we're willing to really get naked in order to put on what the Lord has made for us to wear. It requires a vulnerability. It requires an exposure. It requires a, a coming clean. That unfortunately, we're not preaching that. We're preaching just keep adding stuff on. Put this on. Put that on. Try this on. Say yes to this dress. You'll look great. This dress is nine sizes too big. It has to be that big to fit over all your baggage. Because we won't put it down. We got to put that stuff in the grave where it belongs. And yes, we do get into trouble when we try to reconcile. When we try to reconcile the new thing with the old thing. That's why the word says old things are pass away. Old things have to pass away. All things have to become new. It's not this convergence of, well, bring all those grave clothes with you and we'll just tie them into the design somehow. No, that is religion. That is religion. When we, when we take the burden of death and the law and the grave and the garbage and the condemnation and the shame and the guilt, and we weave it in to this beautiful new life that we have in Jesus Christ, leave the grave clothes behind. There's one little detail in here that I want to spend a few minutes on before I let you go. And it's only in the Gospel of John, and which makes me think that after Peter comes out of the grave and says, he's really not in there, John, it's okay. And John's like, okay, I'm going to go in. 
<laughs> All right. But where is he? Well, he's not in there. Have a look. The sun is starting to rise in the morning sky on that Sunday morning. And John sticks his head in really slowly. The sun comes around and he sees it. The grave clothes in one pile and something else. He sees a handkerchief. Some of your Bibles translate that as a napkin. It was not a napkin. It's not a paper towel. It's not a wad of toilet paper. It was literally, it was a handkerchief. In fact, that Greek word, it's used four times in Scripture. Four times total. This is the third of the fourth times. But there is, um, there's this sort of uh, rule that you learn in seminary, and it's called the rule of first mention. And what it means is that wherever um, each of these words in the original language, wherever they were used first in, uh, in Scripture, that, that there's significance to that, that carries with it. And so I felt the Lord, like never before, zero me in, like laser focus on this other thing. This other thing, verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up. Now, that word rolled up, that's not really a good translation either. Some of it, your Bibles say folded, also not a good translation. The, that real word, there's, there's really only one perfect um, way to understand that, and it is twist, twisted up. It was twisted up. And it's laying in a place of its own, not underneath this stuff, but by itself on the other side of the grave somewhere, and it's noticed, it's observed, and it's recorded as such, which means it's important for us to see too. If you guys were, if you guys were um, around last Easter, who was here with us last Easter? Anybody? Anybody? This is your first time back since then? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. And, uh, and so... We talked last Easter about how we know that the glorified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, we know that he could walk through walls, right? Because he does it like a couple chapters later. He's literally like walking through walls, showing up at dinner parties and be like, surprise. That's like his new like icebreaker. And um, I can walk through walls now. Check this out, guys. And um, so we know that the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. Last year, we talked about how the stone was rolled away so that we could get in so that we could stick our heads in and say, he's not here anymore. So that these disciples, so that Mary, so that they could take a peek inside and see nothing left but grave clothes. But upon closer inspection, in addition to the grave clothes, this handkerchief, this handkerchief. So the two middle places that it's used are in the case of Lazarus being called out of the grave a few chapters earlier, and of Jesus. Those are Cases two and three. But if you go all the way back to the first place this word handkerchief was used, and by the way, it was literally a handkerchief. It was uh, something that would have been tied to the forearm of somebody who was working outside or traveling through the heat, and, uh, and it would have been used as a sweat rag. And you would have dried off your face, wiped the dust and the sweat and the grime off, and, uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, you would have wrung it out, washed it, picked it up next time you needed it. And so the first place this word is found is in Luke chapter 19, and it's a, 
It's an account of the parable, um, sort of like the talents, but in uh, Luke's version here, uh, it's, it's the master is distributing manas, which is just a, a form of uh, currency. It's, a, it's an amount of money. And, uh, and the master is distributing them to his servants, and he leaves on a trip. And he comes back, and the first guy invested his and gets 10 times as much. The, the second guy invested his, gets five times as much. And he's like, awesome, you guys are now going to rule and reign over cities because of your investment and stewardship of the value, the valuable things that I, um, I gave you and entrusted you with. And he gets to the last guy, and the last guy says, oh, 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 I kept it safe for you. I have your mana right here. And he goes, and he you know, pulls it out, gets it, and it's wrapped up in a handkerchief. You're not, she, it's okay. You're not getting this. It's all right. No, it's it, dude. So he takes the handkerchief and unwraps this thing of value. He says, I wrapped it in my favorite handkerchief, my favorite one. This will be the one that I'm buried with. <laughs> this will be the one they wrap around my head when I'm laid to rest with my fathers because that was the other thing you did with this handkerchief. And so he takes it out and he hands it to him. And as the Lord brought my attention back to this parable and I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, how often is it that we take the most valuable things the Father has invested and entrusted to us and we wrap them in something of death? We wrap them in something that signifies works, that signifies the sweat of our brow and the, the death that we'll one day experience. That's what this handkerchief was. Thinking about us as believers today and the incredible gifts that are present in this room. The gifts, the burdens and the, and the passions and the dreams and the visions that were deposited in every single one of us in this room. Those things given to us to be invested to be poured back out, to be used to shape and change the world around us. But in fear, oftentimes, in fear that we'll mess this thing up or in fear that we'll, we've got to get ourselves perfect before we do that, we wrap it up in death and we hide it somewhere. So when these disciples look in and they see this handkerchief, I'd like to think that they were reminded of that parable. I think they see this sweat rag wrung out by their master. You know why it was wrung out? You know why it was twisted up? Because the work was over. The work had been finished. Everything that was required to separate people from their grave clothes had been done. It was finished. He had gone to hell. He had taken the keys. There was no power. Death had no power forevermore. Death was rendered powerless. Sin rendered powerless over the lives of the sons and daughters of God. The work was finished. So who do we think we are when we say, we're going to pick up where he left off and now we're going to get to work? No. That work is done. That sweat rag is ringed out for the day and he left it behind. I believe with my whole heart, saints, that every place we've chosen death and we, we, we've chosen sin and we're experiencing death because of it, now is the season. 
now is the time that we, that we take on that resurrection life and leave behind everything that signifies that death, everything that has kept our gifts, our talents, our abilities under wraps, our burdens, our passions, uh, the dreams and the visions. I, I believe that it's time for those things to come out and see the light of day. It's time to build that kingdom. There's one more place that handkerchief is mentioned. You can come, Jamal. And it's in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the church is growing like gangbusters. It's just, it's crazy. Thousands are coming at a time. But with thousands of people comes so much brokenness. People were in need. People were desperate. People were hungry. People had been lied to. There was so much work. People needed demons cast out of them. They needed, they needed withered hands restored. They needed, uh, they needed relationships reconciled. There was so much need, and there were so few hands. Does this sound familiar? Almost like when they say the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And so it gets to this place where there aren't enough apostles and enough hands to go around. And so, you know what Paul does? He says, well, I've got this handkerchief. Hmm. There it is. And he pulls out his hanky. They pray over it. And it becomes no longer a symbol of work, striving, sweating no longer a symbol of death, masking up decay and stench. Now, you see, that's the thing about following Jesus. Sometimes it means sticking your head in an empty tomb. And they were ruined. They would never look at a handkerchief the same ever again. No longer would their favorite handkerchief be, be a reminder of death. Now it would be a reminder that the work is finished. Now it would be a reminder that we're not in those grave clothes anymore. And so he pulls out his handkerchief and with all power and authority, he sends it and says, well, just start to carry this around and see if people can touch this and see what happens. People start to get healed, set free, delivered. Because the very thing that the enemy wants to use to keep you working, to keep you dead, that will be the story that changes this world. Let's stand to our feet, saints. I wanna ask, before I let you go, I wanna ask, is there anybody in this room and you say, I've never, I've never encountered Jesus Christ? I've never had this relationship that you're talking about, Zach. I've never known him. I've never prayed, never asked him to come into my heart. But what I do know is death. I do know that what I'm doing now isn't working. I do know now that where I'm living right now is under that weight. And if there's somebody who says my yoke is easy and my burden is light and they're willing to exchange with me, then I'm ready. Sign me up.
If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to step out of your seat and come down here right now. Is there anybody in the room? You'd say, that's me, Zach. I need that relationship. I need that life. Babe, would you come? Yeah. Let's give it up for my sister right here. Hey, how are you? Anybody else in the room this morning? Say, I'm tired of death. My knees are about to buckle under this load. I think where the vast majority of us are is we're somewhere in that Chris Farley stage of, of, of trying, trying to do this Christian thing and it just doesn't seem to be fitting very well. Stuff keeps chafing. Stuff keeps rubbing. We don't have our full range of motion. And it gets frustrating, doesn't it? Do you ever look across and see somebody like somebody who the Lord set free and they're like, they're like totally free from everything. And you're like, really? You're making the rest of us look bad. You know what I'm saying? Like all the ones who are trying to fit the glory stuff over the grave stuff. If you're in the house this morning and you say, Zach, I need to leave my grave clothes behind. I need to leave that brokenness. I need to leave the weight of death the stuff I've wrapped myself in as a response to the places in my life where, well, maybe they shouldn't have ever made it out of the grave. They should have stayed back there in my past. If that's you, saints, I want you to know this story, this life, this faith that we have, it is just as much about what we leave behind. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to step out and meet me at this altar because I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room this morning? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, you have overcome. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. Every high thing must come down. I just want to take our time here. Every strong. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You you. It wasn't supposed to be hard. I have Pastor John, Pastor Kirk, Pastor Will, would you guys come and just meet some of these folks down here? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was never supposed to be hard. It was never supposed to be a burden. It was never supposed to feel impossible. My yoke is easy. My burden is light and my grave clothes are off. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How we love you, Lord. Yes. <laughs> I can face Lives. All fear is all 
Come on, can we sing that together one more time? It's because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Come on, because, because, because he lives. Because he lives. Oh, fear is gone. Oh, yes, it is. It's because I know. Because, because Jesus lives. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just before we go, we're going to sing that another time through, but is there anybody in maybe just that first part of the story, maybe just that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, I feel like that's on me for a reason, and maybe it's on us for a reason, and maybe is there somebody in here and you'd say, you know what? I've kept my light under this bushel for long enough. And uh, yeah, I think it's time to come out. And if you're in the room this morning and you'd say, yeah, Zach, I think my faith needs to shine. I think the life that starts on the inside needs to work its way out. I don't want to just be a beating heart and breathing lungs wrapped up in a grave somewhere. But I believe that this is the light and the life that will change. This is the light and the life that will actually bring about the change that I've been praying for. We sometimes spend our lives asking the Lord to change the world around us, and he's asking us to do it. I gave you this life. I filled you with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have the authority. You have the robe. You have the mantle. You inherit the throne. The power is yours. If that's you in this place, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to invite you to sort of just dedicate yourself to that this morning. Take a few minutes and just say, God, how do you want this thing to look? I don't want to be the, the obnoxious guy on the street corner with the sandwich board that's telling everybody they're going to hell. We already know that doesn't work. That's not what this is about. It's about walking in life. It's about representing the kingdom that we're building. It's about being the same guy, the same woman that we are in the presence of God out in the presence of the world. God, because you live, I pray that our life would reflect it. Because you live within us, God, I pray that every decision we make, every action and reaction and interaction, Lord, that they would all take on, Lord, the satisfaction of heaven that you would have your way and your will, that you would be revealed and glorified to the fullest, Lord, through us. We love you. We give it all to you. Let's sing it one more time. Because he lives. Tell him. I can face tomorrow.
this life is worth the living. Hey guys, we're going to keep these altars open. If you want to come down and pray, if you need prayer, please don't leave before you do it. But hey, he's alive. God bless you guys. Have the best week of your lives. We'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.